This is a free download from the Lancey Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in the Lancey Eden Church building at the bank in Spencer in the Turner Island of Kansas. You can contact us or find out more information about us. Please visit our website at thelancetelan.co.uk. Psalm 37 and and verse 4. I want to talk this morning about desire and the will of God. How how desire and the will of God, how it kind of aligns itself together. I'm going to look at a few scriptures. Psalm Psalm 37 verse 4. Again, this is a very familiar verse. Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Okay, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 2. From 2 to 3, then we're going to look at also going out to verse 10 as well. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we were all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. I can't read verse 4, but I love verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he has loved us. That's just awesome. I can't miss that. Anyway, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I want to talk about this power of... The power of desire and how that kind of connects with the kind of will of God. Now, every person on the face of this earth, really, is looking for purpose and looking for, for, for meaning of life. And when people are disconnected from God and haven't got a relationship with God, the desires, that the purpose, the meaning of life, really, is never really satisfied and, and never really, really fulfilled never really satisfies the deepest yearning of the soul, of the heart. Ephesians 2.10 tells us to be for, which is powerful, that God prepared us for good works before the foundation of the world. In other words, God created you for something. Amen? And the something he created you for was before the foundation of the world. That's an amazing concept and thought, isn't it? That God, before the foundation of the world, had a purpose, had a plan, had something for you to do. Really speaks of a lifestyle, really, of walking in the purpose and the plan and the will of God, really for the whole of our life, 
knowing that he's prepared for each one of us a destiny, a purpose, a plan, if you like. And that was prepared before the, the foundation of the world. Isn't that amazing? Now, in that verse 1 and verse 2, verse 3, Ephesians 2, he speaks of what we were like before we, before we came to Christ. Really, it speaks that, that, that before we came to Christ, we, we followed a different track, a different course. We allowed the, the we, we followed the systems, we followed the influence of this world, we followed their value systems, we followed the, 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 the direction and the course of the world. The course and the path of the world is what we followed. And really it was generated, we're told there, by, by the lusts of the flesh. In other words, there were desires in us that we followed. We fulfilled those desires which came out of a desire and lust of the flesh because we followed them, we, we pursued them, we went after them, we, we did all that we could to fulfill those things that were within us. We just followed them. We wanted to do them. We, we sought after them. Because ultimately, that was the, the kind of desires of our heart. But when we come to Christ, something happens. Our desires begin to change. Have we notice that? You kind of look back on your life and you think of the things you desire before you came to Christ. And some of those things you desire before you came to Christ, things that you really went after, things that you're really passionate about, suddenly mean absolutely zelch. Jesus begins to so work in you, he begins to change and work on the desires of our heart. So instead of being controlled by the systems and the ways of this world and the course of this world, and following the lusts of our flesh, which incidentally are under the power of the prince of the air, demonic influence, pursuing and working and moving those things, when Christ comes into our heart, something changes within us. The things that we wanted to do, the desires and the, and the values of our life and the priorities of our life and the goals of our life suddenly begin to change. Now, Proverbs 4 says that, that guard your heart because out of your heart come the issues of life. Guard it. Why? Because What's in your heart will direct your life. That's where your values come from. That's where your motivations come from. And literally the whole course of your life is directed and generated by really what's going in your heart. So we guard our heart because we don't want wrong influences to get in there that affect our desire. That cause us to have wrong desires that begin to direct our course and begin to begin to misguide the, 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 the direction of our life because what's in your heart, the desires and the, and the, and the things in your heart will, will direct the course of your life. And what Jesus does is he begins to come into your life. He begins to change your desires. He begins to change the, the values and the, and, the, and, the, and the goals of your heart and the goals of your life. When Jesus came to the disciples, really, the only goal of the disciples, really, before they met Jesus, was how many fish can I catch? That was the goal of their life. How many fish can I catch each day? That was the cause. That was the the goal of their life. When Jesus came into their heart, he began to change their desires. 
It began to change the value system of their life. It began to bring into them eternal purpose to the point that he says, no longer are you going to be catches of fish, but from now on you're going to be fishers of men. And you'll see that throughout the Bible now, suddenly their whole desires, their whole value system suddenly begins to change. Because every time you really connect with Jesus, your desires begin to change and alter. Your desires and the values of your heart begin to just completely change and are are, are redirected for your life. We We begin to have new passions, new desires. In other words, God has wired into your heart certain giftings, certain passions, and they are really there to discover what you are meant to do. And as we begin to pursue those desires and passions that God has put into our life, we begin to walk in his will and his purpose. And we find our life going in a certain direction. And you'll find that often with so many. You know, all of us have different passions and different desires that God has wired in us. For some, God's wired in them music and worship. Isn't that wonderful? Others, it could be children or or youth. For others, you know, even all kinds of things. Cooking, for example. Not one of my strong points, but nevertheless, some people are kind of, as a a design, and they use their cooking to help people. People can be into wanting to help and bless people. And so that's an act, that's a desire that God has placed within them. They just want to help people. They just want to do all they can to reach out and help people. It's almost a desire that's been wired in them. How many have found that? Is that right? Other people are wired into generosity. Now, all of us should be generous, but often there's those who excel in it. It's a burning desire to, 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 to flow in generosity and giving. I like that one. <laughs> but the point is, there are different things that God wires in your heart. And the reason why God has wired those things in your heart, because it's part of what he has called you to do. It's part of your calling. It's part of your purpose. It's part of the things he's prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Amen. And so one of the most vital things that we can really discover is what things has God put in my heart? There's the powerful thing. When you begin to discover that desire, that which is God has wired in your heart, suddenly you come alive. I think suddenly you become passionate. It starts to fire you up. It energizes you. And enthusiasm rises in you when you begin to pursue and follow the desires that God has put inside you. Instead of feeling apathetic and lethargic, suddenly something comes alive inside you. It energizes you. It stirs you. It moves your heart. Because you're beginning to follow those things that God has wired and God has placed in your heart. And so in your heart, God has put certain desires there inside your heart. It's wired into you, certain giftings and abilities. And it's all there. It's not really about you. It's there so that you can fulfill kingdom purpose. 
us. Amen. The moment we think it's about us, we lose sight of it. But the moment we realize it's about kingdom purpose, those desires, those giftings, those abilities God has poured in me, it's all about kingdom purpose, suddenly you get energized. You come alive with passion and desire that God has put inside you. Look at Acts 7. Maybe a verse you've not ever fully noticed before. I want you to see that here's Moses. He was living a very, very comfortable life. Living in the palace, enjoying life as a prince and, as a, as a, a, and all the wealth that came from being a, a member of the royal family in the Egyptian household. And he's having a, he's, now he's the age of 40 and he's, he's just, I suppose, getting on with life, if you like. But suddenly his whole life changes. And here's what Stephen's obviously preaching this during the, in, in, the, in the situation. Look what he says in verse, I think it's verse 27 of Acts 7. So I go a bit further, further up. So verse 23, I just see if you're away. Uh, verse 23. Now when he was 40 years of old, notice this, it came into his heart. That one desire in his heart, that one stirring of his heart, was the moment his whole life changed from that time on. His life from that time on was never going to be the same. The moment he followed the stirring, the moment he followed that desire of his heart, his heart was never the same again. And so the key is to say, actually, what's in my heart? What's stirring? What's moving in my heart? As the Spirit of God begins to move and stir those things in me, then I begin to follow the stirring and the things of the heart. And when you do that, incredible things begin to happen in your life. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you what? The desires of your heart. It begins with the burning desire of your heart, knowing that desire that's in your heart, and then beginning to work out and follow that desire that God's pouring you, that changes and impacts lives for Jesus. Can you say amen? Now, go back to, to, to I want to go to Matthew 16. Here's the problem sometimes. We don't really kind of recognize people live their whole life without really discovering what are the real desires that God has put inside your hearts. Never really drawing on what God has put inside your hearts. I think sometimes the problem can be our orientation. Even though we come to Christ... Sometimes we never really lose that sense of, of what do I get out of it or what's in it for me. And we, we get very sort of self-centered focus. And because of that, it blocks and prevents that desire that God's pouring you from really breaking out. There's a great instance of, of how this happens in, in Matthew 16. And we see it in verse 21. 
Matthew 16 and, and, and verse 21. Suddenly Jesus now, the desire, the passion, the, the purpose of God, he begins to declare in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, that this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get ye behind me, Satan. You are an offence to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Here's Jesus. He's declaring the course and, and the purpose and the goal of, of his life for God. He's focused on what Jesus, he's focused on the core of God for his life. And the moment he begins to declare that, Peter rises up. Peter has, if you like, self-interest at heart. He's more interested in, in protecting. He's more interested on, on, he's saying, protect yourself, Jesus. Don't don't allow yourself to, to, to follow that course. And he's, he's follow, this, follow a course of life which is about you. And, and follow a self-centered course, if you like. And Jesus recognizes it as, as a kind of thinking that is demonically inspired. Something that is trying to take him off his course. In other words, the real principle following the course of life and the desires of your heart, really, has to have at his, at his heart the cross. You'll never really know the desires of life until the principle of the heart is the cross, the cross life. Denying ourselves. Dying to our ways. Dying to our agendas. And allowing God's awesome and amazing plan to be birthed in us. But it begins by coming the way of the cross. A cross-centered life. And when you follow a cross-centered life, then the desires of God begin to rise in your heart. But you'll never know the true desires until you follow the cross way. Amen. The way of the cross. Go back to Psalm 37 verse 4. Thank you. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your hearts. Notice what comes first. Delight. And I feel next week, I want to talk on the power of delight. That's an important principle. To live a life of total delight. That's an awesome sense, isn't it? How many people live their life just full of delight? And there's a powerful principle about learning to live a life of delight. But let me just give you... A definition of, a little bit of definition of the word delight. It means to be pliable in God's hands. Having a heart soft enough that God can be pliable, God can direct, God can begin to influence because your heart is pliable and soft. Like blue tack. I, mean, look, I love blue tack. I, can, I just like to hold blue tack. So, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I just like to hold it. I get it. But oh, and it's quite like to, I think it goes back many years when I was at school. I, of all the, th not many things I liked at school, but one of the things I did like at school, for some reason I love clay pot, I love to work on clay potting. I, something about holding that clay and, and kind of forming it. And I used to make everything, I, every week I'd bring something back from my mum and her words were, what's that? And I'd say, a vase. Oh, right, yeah. What's that? That's a, an ashtray. But you know, every week it was something different. 
And you'd be looking and you're thinking, and you'd go, what is it? But I used to just love to do it. I just love to, the sense of plying something and, and making, just making a shape from something. I'm, I'm, I don't know, it's just me sort of thing. But the point is, that's how we're meant to be in the hands of God, pliable. Our heart is soft and tender enough for God to work on our hearts and influence our hearts and begin to do amazing things with us. And when we begin to to do that, we begin to discover the purpose of God. John 17, verse 4. Here is the great prayer. Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was made. Jesus is saying, the thing that drives me, the thing that motivates me, the thing that that, that I, I live for is to advance the kingdom of my Father. And Jesus said, I've brought glory to the Father because I discovered what he wanted me to do and I fulfilled what he had called me to do. Ultimately speaking, what is really a, a successful life when all is said and done? How do we measure a successful life? How do we measure a life that is successful to God? So I tell you, measure it. That you fulfilled his will and you fulfilled all that he gave you to do. And that means for every one of us, it's, it, it's different. But the point is, we've all fulfilled God's will. We've all fulfilled what he wanted us to do. And we can look back at the end of our life and say, you know what? Above all else, I fulfilled the will of God. I gave all he called me to do. And that's what brings peace of heart. That's what brings true satisfaction. That's what brings true success. Because we followed what God put in our hearts. We followed the desires that God birthed in us. We allowed God to use all our abilities, all our talents, all our resources, all our potential. And we fulfilled it to maximum. Amen. We fulfilled it to Maximum. Now go back to Ephesians 2 verse 2. As I said there, in fact, no need to turn, let me just say this. Before we came to Christ, we were under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. When we come to Jesus, now we become influenced by the Holy Spirit. He begins to influence. And I think we go through a, a, a sifting, a sorting of our, of our desires, our goals, our motives begin to be refined and, defined and sorted out. Because the truth is we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There's now a whole different value system. There's a whole different way of doing things. Really, what is the definition of the kingdom of God? It's God's way of doing things. And from now on, we're under a new, a new, a total new kingdom, a new rule, a new authority. And in the midst of that, God is beginning to sift you out. It's not an immediate thing, but over a process of time, your desires, the motivations of your heart, the goals of your life begin to alter and change. 
And I think each one of us should look at the moment we came to Christ and look from that time on how we've changed. I think all of us should be able to say, that's how I've changed. That goal that I once had has changed. The desires I once had have changed. The priorities have changed. Totally radically changed. In other words, someone should be able to look at you, see you when you first before you came to Christ, and then see you years later, and actually say to you, I don't even recognize you as the same person. You are absolutely, you're just totally different. I don't even recognize you. You're totally and utterly different. Something has transpired. Something has changed because now you're under a new kingdom, a new system, a new way of doing things. Different desires, different goals, different values, different aims have completely and utterly and radical changed. So let me just say this. How then do we align ourselves? How do we bring ourselves into a place where desires and the will of God begin to kind of connect together? just want to give you a, through, a few practical ways to do it. Here's the first thing, which I've touched on already. What are your passions and the desires of your heart? We've got to discover what is really, really in our hearts. What things are really, really in your heart? What, what stirs your heart? What moves your heart? What kind of things really kind of move in your heart? It's learning to actually tune yourself to what really is what God has put in your heart. Now here's the problem. Sometimes we, our hearts can be blocked. Our hearts can harden. And when our hearts are blocked, when our hearts are hardened, it's very hard to know the true desires of God. And so the key is we need to learn and block our hearts. Certain things block hearts. Unforgiveness is a great heart blocker. Disobedience is a great heart blocker. Not submitting yourself to the, to the ways of the Holy Spirit becomes a great church blocker. And so these things, the enemy wants to come and, and block our hearts. And the reason why he blocks our hearts is because he doesn't want us to really find out the true desires that God's put in our heart. So the key is to keep our hearts soft, tender, and pliable so the Holy Spirit can begin to influence you and mold you and direct you into the desires that God has for you. So you can discover, man, that's what God has stirred in my heart. That's what God has moved in my heart. And you begin to learn to flow in it. It's amazing when people flow what's really in their heart. How easy things are. You're not struggling at it. You're not striving at it. You're not trying to make something happen. You're just going with the flow of the desire of what God has put in your heart. You'll find, for example, people who are involved in worship. It's nothing they have to struggle or strive at, but... There's almost a flow there that's flowing there. And that comes from every gift, every ability, every desire God's put in your heart. The moment you follow that, it's not really hard. It becomes easy because you're going with the flow of what God's put in your heart. Second thing is this. Remember there's our part and God's part. Proverbs 16 and verse 1. It says, the preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answers of the tongue is from the Lord. 
In other words, we have to do certain things, make certain steps, make certain plans, put certain things in place, begin to put order into our hearts, into our life, forgive who we need to forgive, deal with the things that we need to deal with, uh, do what God tells us to do. So we are actually, as we begin to do that, we are putting ourselves in a position where God can really begin to pour his desires inside us. We're, we're positioning ourselves. We're putting ourselves in that right place for God to move. I think that's the key of so much. The power of learning to position ourselves for God to work, for God to move. Here's the next thing. The way of peace. I think peace is such an important thing. To know the will and purpose of God. To flow in God's desires for your heart. Is to come to a place of peace. Colossians 3 and verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which also you accord in one body and be thankful. I found this sometimes to my cost. If you feel a disturbance in your heart, an uneasiness, then you have to question whether that's the will of God for you. Because when you're in the will of God, when you're in the, 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 the anointing of God, when you're following the desires of God's put in your heart, there comes this amazing peace, this supernatural peace. The moment you lose your peace, and you feel a disturbance and uneasiness inside you, it's a sure sign that you've come out of the will of God for your life. When you're following the desires God's put in your heart, and the will of God is a connection of peace. And the power of peace, because it's, I'm not talking about a natural peace, I'm talking about a supernatural peace, amen. That peace empowers you. Because when you're in the will of God, you're going to face opposition. Haven't you found that? Just because you're in the will of God, it doesn't mean there won't be any opposition. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have people rising up against you. Is that right? Am I telling the truth? But the point is, when peace empowers you, you'll face the opposition. You'll face the challenges. You'll face the difficulties because the peace will empower you to go through it. I don't think you can face things without peace, ruling. He says, let the peace of God rule, reign, have its full work in your life. I found more. I'm glad for the peace of God. And sometimes, right outside you, the storm may be blowing. But in your heart, there's such a peace. And it's empowering you that nothing's going to stop you from fulfilling the will of God for your life because you've got a peace that empowers your heart. Can you say amen? Here's the next one, a bit more practical. The counsel of others. Proverbs 12, verse 15. So much, every fan has great wisdom in, in Proverbs. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. A powerful verse right there. You see, we all have blind spots in life. If you ever come to our house, you see the drive. It's a blind spot. When, when I pull out that drive, I can't see. Isn't that right? You just can't see. So you slowly pull out because if I just pulled out, who knows what's coming. 
Because I can't see this blind spot. And that's like we are in life. All of us have certain blind spots that we just can't see it. And we need often the counsel of others to help us sometimes see the blind spots. Is that right, ladies? Uh, you know, these are interesting. I, I think this is, it's a powerful truth here. That it's not only getting counsel, it's who you go to counsel for. For example, if you need a bit of counsel on finance, for example... You're going to go for someone who knows a little bit about finance. Is that right? Somebody who's got faith, someone who's got, who understands the workings of finance. So you go and, and seek their advice. And that covers all aspects of life. We need to allow people to speak into our lives. Find someone you trust. and Find godly counsel. Now here's the point. They're not necessarily going to tell you what to do. They are just confirming what you feel God is putting in your heart. And here's the point. Don't just listen and just don't go to receive. Just don't go to people just to get to hear what you want to hear. You know what I mean? I, you know, I just want them to say this. I want them to agree with me. That's not the kind of stuff you're looking for. You're looking for someone to, to speak and to give you direction and to help you discover the will and purpose of God. Can you say amen? Here's the next one. Spiritual confirmation. Let me just say this as well. I've found a lot of direct... I think prophetic is powerful. That's why we need to be more and more open to the prophetic word. Now, here's the point about a prophetic word. If anyone gives you a prophetic word, it often confirms what God has already put in your heart. That's all it does. That's what a prophetic word does. It confirms what you already feel God's put inside your heart. How many fans? I mean, I can think of prophetic words I've received, and they didn't kind of show me things I didn't know. They just confirmed things that God had already been saying and speaking to me. Amen. And He just confirmed it, and it, it further entrenched it was God because they didn't know about the situation. Suddenly, that word just confirms what God has already put in my heart. How many think that's wonderful? I remember years and years ago we had we, we had a word, and everywhere I went, that word was. I couldn't escape it. Wherever it was, that word was. Because God was confirming a word to my heart. Here's the next thing, which is kind of following on from that a little bit. 2 Timothy 3.16, spiritual confirmation. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work. Here's a powerful thing. You know, a pilot, one of the things a pilot has to learn, he has to learn to trust his instruments. He can't afford to, to, to follow his own ideas, his own thoughts, his own feelings, his own, what he sees visibly. He's got to learn to trust his instruments. And this is what we need to do. We need to trust God's word. And we need to let God speak to us through his word. Because the one way God will direct you, the one way your desire will meet his will, is by the word of God. And God begins to speak his word into your heart to give you direction, to give you leading, to show you the course of your life. How many have found that? A word from God that just burst from the pages of the, of the book and entered your heart and you knew God was speaking, God was directing, God was giving you instruction, God was giving you leading and counsel and leading began to come as the word of God began to get a hold of your heart. Can you say amen? So we've got to let God speak to us. 
He speaks his word. And often you find a word that's just for a season. It's just for that point, just for that season for your life. And as I said earlier, and whenever you go, you see that word. I, we had postcards come with the same word. Someone even sent me a CD with the same word. I even had a placard sent to me with that same scripture. And wherever I went, that scripture was there. And it just followed me for that season of my life. Real, powerful, leading, directing, but God speaking to me through his word. Let me close this very quickly. Things that hinder us from discovering what God has called us to do. Idols of the heart. In Ezekiel, God speaks and says, you have idols in their hearts. And he says that even though you come looking to me the direction, actually you're following the idols of their heart. What he's saying is you're coming with your own agenda. You don't want to hear really what God has said. You've got your own agenda, you've got your own word, you've got your own direction, and you're going to do it come what may. That's what God was basically saying. And sometimes that can so happen in our hearts. I can think back over years where often people have come to me and it's so far out of the scriptures, so far away from the word of God, it's a million miles from the word of God. And no matter what you say, their mind is made up no matter what. And to such a heart, God cannot direct and God cannot lead because the mind is already set the mind is already made up the heart is blocked and God's unable to speak so we've got to make sure there's no idols of the heart and very quickly last thing is someone let me just give you one more because this is a, a powerful one the influence of a controlling relationship in other words sometimes someone's connected to someone who is a controlling person. And that controlling person begins to influence the way of their thinking and their leading. They don't make decisions for themselves because every time they do, there's almost they feel under the control of somebody else. Am I relating? I mean, you found that sometimes. That controlling influence. Somebody who's, who's such a controlling influence over their lives, they find it very hard. To follow the direction and the leading that God's put on their hearts. There's an interesting story. Jeroboam. King Jeroboam. King, sorry, King Jehoshaphat. The story there, King Jehoshaphat was a, was, was a, really was a, a godly king. Loved God. But he had a connection with a king called Ahab. Who was married to a woman called Jezebel. And Jezebel, we are told, had a controlling spirit. The word of the prophet came, came to him, to, to Joshua, and says, don't go into battle. Don't do it. Don't go into that battle, because if you do, you're going to lose. Don't go into that battle. And instead of listening to the prophet, he listened to Ahab, who was under the influence of Jezebel. And it was only by the grace of God, he never lost his life. He lost everything else. Everything was lost. Because he allowed himself to come under the influence of control. And the influence of control will block you from following the desire. You know what I'm talking about? God's working a desire in your heart. But instead of following the desires of your heart, you allow the control of somebody else's influence to push you on a direction that deep in your heart you don't really want to go down. Let me close with this. Ultimately speaking, what is the ultimate desire? 
What is really the ultimate desire? What is the burning desire of your heart? Let me ask this other question connected with that. What is God's most important desire for you? So tell me where it is, ultimately speaking. The desire, God's ultimate desire for you, is for you to be like Jesus. That's his ultimate desire. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to. The Holy Spirit comes in you to make you more and more like Jesus. I kind of love preaching the word and different aspects of ministry. But ultimately speaking, the greatest desire of my heart, and it never always used to be like that, but the greatest desire of my heart is to be like Jesus. The Bible says, that as he is, so are we in this world. That's what it's all about. The biggest desire of all is to say, Jesus, you are so amazing. You are so wonderful. I want to be like you. I want to love like you. I want to live like you. I want to have the same desires that you have. What are his desires? You know, his desires are to heal the brokenhearted. To set prisoners free. To, 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 to set the oppressed, to, to break the power of oppression. That's what his desire is. And he wants to work those desires in you. Because you want to be like Jesus, is that right? And you said earlier, you think of this amazing statement. Anyone who believes in me shall do the works that I do. And greater works than these he shall do. So the more like Jesus I become, then the more I begin to do the works that he did. And that's God's ultimate desire for you. And as your desires merge, align themselves with God's desires, then that's the kind of level that God is taking you to. Can you say amen? Let's just come before him right now. Let's allow the Lord today. Above all else, say, Jesus, my greatest desire, above all else, is to be like you. I want to be like you. I kind of want to respond like you respond. I want my conversation and my words to be the kind of conversation and the words that you had. In every aspect, in every detail, in every part of my life, my biggest desire above all else is to be like Jesus. And when that desire connects with the will of God, then I believe incredible things are just going to burst forth in your life. We used to sing a song years ago. It was a song, part of a musical uh, in the 70s. It was, simple song was this. Lord, make me like you. Make me like you. You are a servant. Make me one too. Having a servant heart is like Jesus. It's like Jesus. It's being like Jesus. It's just a desire that's in your heart that says, Jesus, I so want to be like you. We all look and we all sometimes feel very far short of that. But the important thing is the desire to be like him is there. The Bible says if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. 
Father, we thank you today that, Jesus, you are just so amazing. You're just so wonderful, so glorious. And I pray today, Father, that you'd so work in our hearts. Holy Spirit, just so work in us. The greatest desire of all would be to be like Jesus. Lord, we can't manufacture that or manipulate that ourselves, but we ask you, Lord, that you begin to stir us and move us. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us today, God, that you would align us into your perfect will and plan for our lives. Thank you. All of us have a purpose. All of us have a destiny. All of us have a calling. And I pray, Lord, Lord, the desires in us would begin to rise up, O God, and we would feel just incredible purpose and plan for our lives. For we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.